And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We are proud to announce that the Planet Trillion Trees podcast has received a silver medal award for a podcast series through Garden Communicators International. We thank Garden Communicators for the recognition. At the intersection of power tools and creativity, John Mahoney found his niche, turning otherwise forgotten urban green waste into dazzling works of art. Born into a family of tree workers, arborists, and creatives, it was no mystery that Big John would find himself carving his own legacy into the urban forest, just as his dad did before him. When he began chainsaw carving at the age of 22, John witnessed the emotional connection people had to his wood art pieces that could have otherwise so easily become mulch or firewood. John found himself at a crossroads between one-off artistic ventures and a desire for a greater purpose. He found himself itching to raise awareness for the importance and value of urban trees as a precious bioresource, from their carbon capturing capabilities to their unique unrivaled beauty. This practice has turned into a mission of salvage wood stewardship. Today, he oversees Street Tree Revival, an urban wood recycling program founded by West Coast Arborists, California's leading tree maintenance and management company, for communities who care about trees. His primary purpose is creating quality, one-of-a-kind lumber, like making a lasting positive impact on our environment. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, John. We're delighted that you could be with us today. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we are very interested in finding out, number one, about the West Coast Arborist Company and their service area. And then we want to also find out about your street tree revival portion of your business. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, my dad, my uncles, and my aunt Rose all started this uh, West Coast Arborist out of their uh, garage in 1972. Uh, they were working for a guy named George the Tree Man. And they bought the truck off of George, you know, and they had to push start the truck every morning uphill both ways in the snow, which in Southern California didn't make much sense, you know, hearing that story. But but we they started out of their uh, garage and slowly grew the company from there and uh, evolved from trimming trees for uh, homeowners and then grew to trimming trees for different cities and public agencies and different schools. And the company you know, is our 50th year in business and um, in uh, the early, I think it was the in the 90s, the company got a grant from Cal Fire to uh, sponsor like a, a sawmill program. And, the, and Cal Fire was loaning out sawmills to different companies because they realized uh, that there's a lot of 
urban wood waste that ends up in the landfill that could be used at a, at a higher end use. So our company got a sawmill in the 90s, and then the program really never went anywhere. We'd mill maybe a thousand board feet of lumber a year. And slowly, uh, when I was growing up, I realized, you know, I started working at our fire. We also had a firewood business and I saw firsthand how much wood went to waste and kind of revitalized our urban wood program at the company. And uh, my brother-in-law, we always wanted a band called Street Tree Revival. And uh, Really? Yeah, we always wanted a band called Street Tree Revival. He's wow. a musician. And when the we realized that, well, we could rebrand our, our urban wood program as Street Tree Revival. And it just makes more sense, you know, to sell lumber under that brand of Street Tree Revival. And so, you know, our company, and we remove a, a ton of trees every year. It's, it's really crazy to see how much wood goes to waste every year. So growing up, I would see all these beautiful pieces of firewood and I'd steal pieces of firewood and start carving them because you could see like the different grains inside the wood when it was split. And just from there, I fell in love with the inner beauty of the wood and hated seeing it go to waste. And uh, we've had this program now for almost five years, six years. It's, it's, it's self-sustaining at the company and uh, it's growing, which is really cool. John, as Eva just mentioned, you know, we talk about the repurposing of wood all the time. And talk about the marketing for Street Tree Revival. How are you finding your your buyers? Yeah, so that has been, you know, an interesting, you know, discussion over the years. Right currently our, you know, we have a retail location and we have a lot of DIYers. You know, I'd say the biggest portion of our, not the biggest piece of the pie, but, you know, the most volume is uh, DIY people, people doing stuff for their house. They want to do their own project. Uh, and then, you know, as we go up to larger manufacturers, we have less and less partners. And part of that is it takes such a long time for wood to dry. Mm -hmm. So we have this kind of loop or like this, this path that we have to go down and the carts in front of the horse. So you really have to plan two years in advance what your customer needs. And so that's been an, an interesting problem to have because we don't necessarily know what the customer is going to want. And, you know, one large customer can eat a lot of inventory of the same product almost too fast. So we kind of have this niche while we're growing. You don't want too big of a project because you can't produce enough lumber in that species to those specifications. And so kind of like floating our way up to the, to the larger volume. I think that's really fascinating because Hal and I just are constantly talking about wood reuse. And um, your company not only maintains healthy trees throughout communities in California and Arizona, but you also plant them too, right? Yes, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that too. So I, I, as far as I can remember, we've always planted trees and you know, when you asked me this question, I had to do some research and I started asking everyone, all my family members, everyone at the company, you know, going back in, in time. And that was a, it was a fun uh, exercise because for a lot of people, it was as, as long as we can remember, we've been planting trees. But we had our first tree planting crew in 1992. And before that, we would uh, occasionally order trees from uh, nurseries and have them delivered right to the job site. But in 1992, we started having our own nursery yard, you know, like a small nursery. And then in the year 2000, we really grew our nursery department and our planting crews. And, you know, we realized we're removing a lot of trees 
we joined up with Arbor Day too. We started going to Arbor Day celebrations sure. as a company. And we really knew that, that we had a responsibility to put more trees in the ground because that's the, the future. You know, if we wanted to have a business with lots of families in the future working in the tree business, you got you to gotta grow trees. You got to grow people and grow trees. So tell us a little bit about your company's tree program that you have, because your your company is so um, vast as far as what they do. You you really do exhibit what I would think an arborist is from the life of the beginning of life of the tree to the death of the tree and then beyond. Yeah, full full circle arboriculture yes. from seed from seed to senescence. Oh, I love it. There you go. I yeah. love it. There you go. So yeah, our company, so we have, you know, around it's changing, you know, about 1100 employees and we uh-huh. trim trees for over 300 different public agencies. And our line is tree care for communities who care about trees. And, you know, as we were growing the program, our, our whole company, I think they've realized that, you know, we have have a, a broader range of services. So not only do we do removals, you know, we have more Arbor, uh, certified arborists than any other company in the United States. Uh, more tree workers than any other company too. And uh, just, you know, planting trees has been a, a big part of that. And, and over the years, it's really grown. So last year we planted over 20,000 trees and half of that was grown from seed over the years, which is a really cool thing to be a part of. And then with our different partnerships through Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, Matt Ritter, and we have a software too. We like to think that we're a technology company that cares for trees. So we have our own internal software that when you are a, one of our, our customers, we offer GPS data for all the trees and everything's up, you know, through an app so the customer can see, you know, different tree sites and tree locations. And that's something that we've shared with different uh, groups too, like Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for research purposes. So we have over 8 million trees in our online database. And that allows us to, on both sides of it, kind of get a, a, a better view of what's going on. So one of the things we've done is as Street Tree Revival, we go through our removal list over the last year and kind of see, okay, what got removed and what are the opportunities that we saw there? So, you know, California, we're unique. We have, you know, the average city has over 260 different species of trees and most of them are non-native. And we have like a, a plethora of exotic, really unique trees that, you know, their inner beauty matches their outer beauty and can live on as a wood product maybe longer than the tree lived in the urban forest, which is, that's the ultimate goal, I think. I'm so curious, and I'm out to the West Coast a couple times a year as well, John. Um, Eucalyptus is part of the tree group that you're taking care of? Yes, absolutely. Many types of eucalyptus. Talk about eucalyptus as far as how it plays out for you as a repurposed product. So growing up, all I remember is that eucalyptus is junk wood. It was used for the railroad companies and they, you know, the train would bounce, it would knock people's teeth out when the train would drive over the eucalyptus uh, railroad ties because they twisted mm. too much. You know, that's the old joke. Right. Going, you know, going forward, I've realized it's really you have to take care of the wood to the ultimate level. So when a tree becomes a log or a tree dies and becomes a log, you have five weeks until the wood on the inside degrades by 50%. So you really have to process that log quickly and take care of it and keep it in the shade. 
So a lot of the eucalyptus can go really south, like kind of turn into rotten fruit really quickly. So we've tried to you know, figure out how to process this. And one thing we've done with eucalyptus is we typically only quarter saw eucalyptus. And that means that when you have a board, if you look at the end grain of the board, the rings of the tree are all going straight up and down in relation to the face of the board. And that since trees swell and shrink tangentially, that means that that board will only shrink and expand in thickness, not in width, which you know, gives us a better opportunity to have a product that's going to survive. Wow. And then that's really fascinating. And there's so many types of eucalyptus, right? Do you know how many types of euc there are? 250. No, no, way more. Really? Yeah, 827 last time I checked. Wow. And they're all unique and different to each other. So, like a blue gum eucalyptus, which there's tons of that around our area. Uh, that one is a little more oily and we have a harder time drying that one and drying wood too. You know, we could, that's a whole nother discussion of drying wood, but you know, red gum eucalyptus that dries way nicer. Iron bark eucalyptus, you know, that's, that's a future product that's going into a uh, music instruments, but I can't say until for another 10 days, you know, but I'll be quiet about that. I guess. Okay. You know, <laughs> what kind of, what kind of eucalyptus was that? Red iron bark eucalyptus. Red iron bark. Okay. Sounds like there's a deal in the works. Eucalyptus cider rock salon. So it's a beautiful wood. It's extremely hard. It can, you know, it's a replacement for some awesome tone woods. And over the years, I've, you know, lots of iron. I think last year in our area, we removed over 400 red iron bark eucalyptus, and we probably salvaged and milled up a hundred of those. So, you know, going forward, you know, now that we have a customer that is driving the recycling of it. We now have an opportunity and obligation to capture more of that. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, we do. And yeah, I, that certainly makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you do a lot of strategizing in your company. Yeah, we have to strategize. And yeah, yeah, we have to use the data, you know, in our to our advantage, which is fun. But you're saying with eucalyptus, John, that you have to jump on it pretty quickly. In, in terms of the day it's cut down, within five weeks, it needs to be milled. Yes, and kept in the shade. Have you ever driven by a, like a sawmill log yard? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you ever seen that they have sprinklers on the logs? I have not noticed no. that. No, I've never seen the sprinklers on no? the logs. Well, maybe that's no. more of a West Coast thing. Yeah, we have one that we pass on the turnpike. There's one that the logs sit there. And there's no sprinklers. There's no sprinklers on them. Dang, there goes that. It must be California. It must, must be, be California. Yes. So, and in Washington too, but what that does, it keeps the wood swollen. And it also keeps some of the bugs away. So some of the bugs want to go for the drying out, uh, you know, and get into the cambium. So, oh. you know, really we want to keep the logs swollen. So as the further we're growing in this, you know, we started off with two people milling urban wood. Now we have 14 people on our team in three locations doing urban wood across, you know, California. And as we're growing, you really have to take care of the wood. Like, you know, you think it's so easy. All you need is a sawmill and then you cut wood and that's good. But no, you have to, it has to stay in the shade protected. Treat it like the ultimate bio resource that it is, is actually the way to do it. But. Right. 
it would make sense that you would have to sprinkle yours because you have such a drier climate than we are here. Sometimes our humidity will be up 70%. Oh. Yeah, that's the so so that might be that might be the difference between here and there. Very true, because the wood wants to be in equilibrium with the moisture in the air. Okay, gotcha. Like if you cut a piece of wood, it could be losing you know uh, pounds of water an hour. Wow, which is kind of wild. Like sycamore is two hundred percent water. When we we also have a vacuum kiln and we have a gallon counter. When we do that, we've gotten over seven hundred gallons of water out of the lumber. Now, is the water recycled too? You know, have we put it on the trees? You know, have we used it at our nursery oh. down the street? Oh, oh. But I'm the only thing I'm curious about is every species is so, but it's distilled water basically. So I think it is good yeah. to use. And uh, actually it might be, it might be even better because it's coming from a tree, going to a tree. Right. All I know is I don't want to use silk, silk oak. Water. Do you guys know silk oak? Southern silky oak? Silk oak, no, no silk oak. No, I'm not familiar with it. I'm allergic to that one. So I want to stay away from that water. Mm. Oh, really? <laughs> Is it really a? Is it really a uh, oak? Is it a Quercus or is it? It is not. Else? It is um, Salix. No, it's Austra. It's also called a Australian pine. It's got needles oh. on it, but it Australian also has pine. really big medullary rays. So that's why they call it an oak. Oh, okay. So there's a fair number of from the employee standpoint, and you know, Planetarium Trees podcast does have a lot of arborists listening in you have quite a bit of the workforce dedicated to working with milling the wood on a daily basis, storing the wood properly. And then it sounds like you're the person with West Coast Arborists and Street Tree Revival that's really tasked, like you mentioned earlier, with finding the the buyers and that it's uh, kind of touch and go. You might have a client come in that wants to snap up a bunch of your prized eucalyptus and all of a sudden you're you might be really low or wiped out completely with a specific inventory logistics is is a challenge for you i'm guessing yes it's very much you know what is going on in the urban forest so a few years ago we had a ton of sycamore from a you know because a bug was attacking them shot hole borer so yeah how to plan with that now everybody loves quarter sound sycamore, but we're not getting as much mm. through the system, which right. is just a funny. And now I'm trying to steer them towards magnolia, you know, and there's ebbs and flows and trends. And it's kind of, you know, and you have to be uh, two years ahead of it. <laughs> Do you sell more live edge than uh, the conventional milled lumber? So we know, I mean, yes, we do sell more live edge and it's, it's popular right now, but in the grand, in the world of wood use, the volume of dimensional lumber used is way greater. So we know that we need to not just focus on live edge. And that's why we try to focus on the quarter sawn. Even our redwood, we offer quarter sawn redwood, which that's not like a normal thing people doing, especially in the urban wood world that we're specializing in quarter sawn wood. So guitar manufacturers, everybody in the music world needs quarter sawn wood. So we kind of want to mill all our wood so that it can be used at the highest level. Okay. Can you explain what live edge is to our listeners in case they don't know what it is? Sure. And I was thinking about this recently too, which is, I think, where did the word live edge 
come from. So the, so the live edge is the outside edge of the tree, right underneath the bark. So if you take a log or a tree and you slice it through both sides, like, you know, and you have the natural edge of the tree on the edge, that's what live edge wood means. And I think the term comes from, because it is the living edge of the tree, right? You have your sap wood on the outside of the tree. Right, that's a cambium. Yeah, cambium wire. So that's the actually the living part. So that's why it's called the live edge. All the life is around the outside of the tree. Now, what do they call a tree that has, when you t- timber it and mill it, that it has the bark still attached? What's that called? Mm, I don't know if I'm... Because we, have, we see a lot of that. And when I was in Europe, I saw a lot of that in London with the bark still attached to the cambium. Sure. It was still still attached and they they made tables and chairs and with, benches and everything with, with the, the bark still on. With the bark attached, yes. So I know that like uh, you know, sometimes people want the bark still on the piece of wood, and sometimes the people mm-hmm. don't want the bark, right? The bark will catch on your clothing. So we like to tell people yes. you gotta take the bark off and all the sugars underneath there too. So if a bug's gonna come, it's gonna go right for the bark area. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. depends on if the trees cut down in winter or in summer, I think, or in spring, because the sap is running underneath the bark. So if the sap's up in the in the cambium, the bark is really hard to take off. If the sap's all the way down in the roots in winter, the bark, you know, falls off as the tree shrinks. Okay, got you. So really it's wow. a fun game to play. And a lot of times people, couples will come into our shop and one of them will want the bark on and the other one is picking the bark off and the other one's putting it in their pocket to say that to glue it back on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, these are all things that I, I hope our listeners appreciate the fact that you have such a vast knowledge when it comes to trees, not only from the wood perspective, but also growing trees from seed and and pruning trees. And it's not very common that you'll find somebody who knows all of it, a whole story. Yeah. it's. I feel really lucky to be a part of an association or a company that, that we get that breadth of knowledge and uh, we share in between our departments and, you know, that's been the, I've, I've got to grow up here. So I've got to learn from all the different, I think we have three board certified master or master, whatever the acronym Mar- is. Master Arborist. Master yeah. Arborist. Yeah. Just the tree community in general is so interesting and fun to, fun to be around. And we're surrounded by it. And I knew that if I wanted to have a product, you know, all the really high end manufacturers, uh, they care about what species it is. So, if, you know, yeah. It makes a difference yeah. if it's hard maple or silver maple or what type of ficus it is, you know, or what type of eucalyptus. So I really challenged myself in order to, you know, the firewood crew can easily, you know, you can make firewood really quickly. But if I knew what the botanical name of was the species, they were more uh, likely to give me that lock. Oh, that's really, that's really great. Well, here, you know, in, in our end of the woods, uh, literally, um, the timber industry would call things differently than its real name. They they kind of gave the common names. So like yellow poplar is really 
uh, Liriodendron tulipifera, which is in the magnolia family. But for a long time, it was in the poplar family because it was a fast grower. And they stuck all the trees that were in the fast growing category into the poplar group. And yellow poplar, if you don't know, is really a magnolia. I mean, the magnolia family. I love that. The wood is so beautiful. I have a desk. My desk is made out of um, out of tulip. And I love it. And I went to a lot of different, I went to, went through a lot of different pieces of lumber at the lumber yard to make sure that I had matching, like it had, ma- when it was put together, that it was matching so that it looked like um, a heart when it was done or oh. the, the heartwood was to get connected. So I, you know, I can understand what you're talking about because I specifically went for tulip tree, yes. the tulip tree. Yeah, and we get that one in the, uh, pretty often around here too. And it is beautiful and you can have some wild colors on the inside. Yeah, and yellow is one of the colors yeah. that made it so popular. So I, I think that's really, really interesting. So getting back to the replacement of trees, you were talking about these big areas that you were looking at that had trees removed from. How do you determine what you're going to put back there? Is it the client's choice or do you make the recommendations or does the town, because you're working with cities, do they make the recommendation or the park? Yeah. So since, and it really depends on each public agency that we're working with. Some public agencies, you know, haven't updated their tree policy in uh, 50 years, you know, and they still plant the same species in a whole neighborhood, which we don't think that's the right way to do it anymore in case a bug comes and wipes out all those trees. So you have so many different groups, but in general, the city is the one that decides what to go in there. And then you have a variety from cities that are extremely involved, you know, the person in charge of their trees is a tree lover and they are up to date on everything. And sometimes it's from someone from a different type of crew who's never worked with trees before, and they lean more heavy on us uh, in our recommendations. You have 260 different species, you said. That's on average. On the average. And Legacy. yeah, and, and so, okay, so if that's the case, and you said a lot of them are non-native and they're exotic trees. Well, yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So with Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, Matt Ritter, we've, you know, they've, yes. they've got together and they have looked, uh, you know, at climate change and how our temperatures are going higher. And they've kind of gone on the same latitude and longitude and, or not longitude, but figured out, you know, climates that are going to be where we are going to be in third currently where we're going to be in 100 years. So they've developed a list of trees, uh, 1,500 trees that will be, you know, thrive in California's urban forests over the next 100 years. And, you know, only about 400 of those 1,500 trees are available at nurseries. And we want to do my, more biodiversity. So the old, you know, average city, 260 species. The average planting palette right now is 13 species. So there's like a big divide, you know, in that. Yeah. Wow. And we want wow. the future 1,500. So that's kind of like our long-term goal. And, you know, with different nurseries and we're doing it ourselves too. We have a tree farm up north. We're planting some of these species that aren't readily available, at, you know, for the future. Now, who would your company manages the tree farm? So we have a couple different nurseries. And then uh, up north, we have a, uh, our Bowman tree farm and we're growing black acacia and shamal ash uh, on that tree farm. 
And then there's also a recycling center there. That's our kind of our Northern California log sorting yard. Hmm. And then my cousin, Jason Davlin, Matt manages our, our nurseries. John, question here then is with all the trees that get planted, there must be a few different management scenarios for watering. I'm assuming sometimes the municipalities take that on or how does that work for West Coast Arborists? How do you see that your newly planted trees are, are getting watered? Exactly, because that's the biggest problem. Uh, I heard a crazy statistic. I don't, I don't even want to say it because it just feels wrong. The average life of an urban tree is eight years. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's so crazy. Between eight, eight and 15, 15 at max. Because <laughs> just don't have a good success, you know, in the beginning, which I think is, uh, you know, trying to, you know, get the word out there that we have to grow trees, not just plant them. You know, growing seems like, you know, encourage kids that growing is something that you have to do constantly, not just planting and forget about it. But we have watering trucks and uh, depends on the different contract on some of the cities, you know, they'll take care of it. Um, but we we do uh, and do lots of watering and we have, you know, to ensure that success rate. So that's a tank truck then. And um, are you under any restrictions when the state says you can't water? That is an excellent question that I don't know the answer to. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. I don't, I don't think so. Right. Okay. I don't think so because we're not, I don't think so. Cause it's the, not the water a <laughs> right. Exactly. That's really fascinating because having your own trucks and everything makes everything so much more efficient. Yes. Because you know where everything is, you know, you probably can even put the scheduling into your database, right? Absolutely. And that way trees never get missed. Exactly. Where sometimes, where sometimes in a community they may get missed because somebody didn't go down the street and you know they didn't see it on their list, um, and it doesn't get watered. And in the city of Philadelphia, majority of the trees that don't survive are because they haven't been watered. I believe that. So they won't plant a tree unless someone is married to it. Is actually really passionate about wanting a tree. Yes, and they make sure that they carry on that watering regime. I love it. The trees that West Coast Arborist is growing, it sounds like you have a couple locations. And then just because I think we have some listeners that are going to be really focusing in on this, how are the trees prepped? Are they bald and burlapped or are you using containers? We uh, use tree boxes and we recycle all the the boxes and we cut redwood oh, for the bottom because the bottom gets messed up. So we have a full-time guy that just recycles all the tree boxes. So when they go out on the job site, you know, they bust the box off, open up the bottom of the, you know, I'm not an expert in the planting crew, so I don't want to mis misspeak. Right. But I know that, you know, over the years, you know, girdling and I've, you know, heard all these things. So I know that we've really, yes. you know, grown and, and take it more seriously now. And like you said, you have to have someone passionate about it. Because with trees, they're patient, you know, but if you set them up wrong in the beginning, you're uh, asking for a disaster. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So when they're putting them in, they break the box is what, what happens. Oh, they yeah. take the bottom off, sit it in the hole, and then break the sides off probably, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and aerated. I know that, you know, you got to get in there and open it up a bit. Yeah. And transferring up, you know, constantly. Our nursery is transferring, you know, up in sizes so that they don't get root bound. It's, right. You know. And, and square, you said, they're square. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a different shape altogether than round, where the girdles will, the roots will circle. 
And if it's not a circle, then it's a whole different story. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole different story. Yeah, that is really fascinating. And and I, I can't believe that your company does everything. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling. And plant health care, too. We do plant and health And plant health That's yeah. one of our new departments, you know. Wow. That's a new department. Over the last, I think, we, I think it started five years ago. And then from the urban wood perspective, one fun thing that has happened that I didn't necessarily would think would happen is, you know, I'd say the majority of the people that come into our showroom aren't tree people. You know, they don't, maybe they don't realize that they can't name any tree species, but the more they come in and we really get to see a development and love for trees come from the reverse direction, which is uh, something that's been really nice to see through urban wood, the love of trees grow. That's amazing. Now, do you have a lot of artists besides musicians that would want to make instruments out of the wood? Was it you who was doing chainsaw? Were you the one who did yeah. chainsaw work? That's how I fell in love. You know, I was working at our firewood yard and I'd see these big, beautiful logs get split into firewood and then burned up. And I would, you know, make these chainsaw carvings. And then I, I chainsaw carved full time. I chainsaw carved for, you know, Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. And the chainsaw carvings taken me, you know, all over the United States. And it was really fun, but it didn't, I couldn't eat all the logs, you know, I couldn't use them all up. So I really switched my focus from, you know, one-off art pieces and switched it to providing wood back to the community. And we get to meet so many cool, interesting people. You know, the ex-mayor of D.C., one of the ex-mayors of D.C., he, we just did a, he's got a deck for his house in uh, Menlo Park. We, uh, Rogan Gregory makes these crazy sculptures. We got Vince Skelly makes beautiful sculptures, uh, uh, timber frame, Japanese timber frame style houses from a guy named Base 10 Sculptures. It's been really fun to to meet all these people that, you know, get to make the trees live on in beauty and go back to the community from where they came. It's pretty fun. So you're actually helping other artists find their modality yes. within the wood. I'm just so fascinating. I, I'm just sitting here in awe. <laughs> Me too. I can't, I got to pinch myself sometimes. <laughs> I was just ruminating on what you were saying, John, and man, thank goodness to all the smart tree-loving people in California, but you'd mentioned a couple times, and hopefully I'll get the institution right, San Luis Obispo's, is it Cal Poly's campus there that has come up with the species list? Yeah, the website is selectree.org. Okay. And I know there's a few organizations that helped on that, but I know Matt Ritter was the lead on it and, uh, you know, a, a great follow on Instagram and they've great. done a lot of work and, and it's, it's cool. So all that is Californians planning for the next hundred years. Um, doesn't sound like natives will be a significant part of the palette in terms of native species, but native to somewhere. Native, yeah, native is somewhere. Yeah, I know there's like a, uh, it seems like there's like a, um, you know, either you're in one boat or you're the other. And to me, it makes sense. You know, birds can fly really far and the climate's changing. And, you know, these are not real forests. You know, it's an urban forest. And, uh, you know, if you look back at pictures of California back when, you know, when they were building the missions, 
not a lot of trees around. No. Thank goodness for the eucalyptus. That's right. That's right. Good job, eucalyptus. <laughs> so what's your, what's your favorite tree out of the 1,500 that is being uh, listed for the next 100 years? I know. I know. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I, I want... Today. How about oh, today, today? Today. Today, my favorite one is Chinese pistache. <gasps> that is a nice Pistachia one. It is a gorgeous tree. You know, I love the fall foliage, especially somewhere where we don't get that all the time. Right. And we're, we plant a lot of them. I think we plant over 300 a month. Wow. And we've been planting a, a ton over the last 10 years. And so looking, and then the wood, you know, is also the fourth species sold as zebra wood. Oh, zebra right. Wood. It's not zebra wood, but it's the fourth species sold as. So, you know, it's <laughs> right. got the little zebra bit of marketing wood. there. Got those amazing stripes yes. in it. And the color is really crazy. The wood is extremely hard. We have one company that's making rolling pins out of them. The company's called Stella Falone. And um, you know, last year, I think we got 100, we removed 150 Chinese pistache. Um, you know, throughout our whole company, you know, from Arizona and California. And you know, we're planting more and more. So as the future goes, I know that that's going to be a species that if we plant that and the word gets out, that it's almost a guarantee that that carbon is going to be stored in a wood product and not go through the chipper because the yeah. wood is gorgeous. And the best part about it, it glows under blacklight. My goodness. What? That's right. Knock your socks off. Glows under blacklight. No. Get ready to sell that inventory out real fast. <laughs> How did you find out about that? The internet that? is lovely, wooddatabase.com. And there's about 30 different species that have fluorescence under a black light. And you can use that to um, determine the wood. Like I know honey locust versus black locust. One of them glows, but the wood looks similar. So they use that as a determining factor. And then, you know, I ordered the black light and I was blown away. We're blown away too. That is some amazing information. And this has been one of those uh, conversations, John, where you uh, fill me with hope. Uh, California is going to come through this just like the rest of us humans that are out there innovating. So we really want to thank you for your time and your passion and your wealth of knowledge. Um, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you both. It was it was fantastic. Thank you so much, John. We wish you the best and we wish you continued success in finding new um, types of wood to work with. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, John. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank you.